Good evening. This evening's reading is from uh, John, chapter 11. So that can be found on page 1078 in the Church Bibles. And we're going to start reading at verse 14. So 1078, John 11, verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But, even, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he hasn't been in there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have all have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here here, 
that they may believe that you sent me. When Jesus said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's uh, begin by praying. It's a remarkable chapter of John's Gospel, which in turn is an amazing Gospel. So let's pray that God will give us insight into what we read here. Father, help us to keep the focus on Jesus and not be lost in the detail on who he is and what he did and still does. Teach us by your Spirit. And if this chapter raises a number of questions for us, please graciously give at least answers to some of them. Strengthen us in our Christian faith. And if we're not yet Christians, may what we read and reflect on from this chapter this evening help us in discovering how great you are and how much you care about people like us. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, dear Father, who is the resurrection and the life. Amen. I didn't realise until I heard Philip preach this morning that what he shared quite magnificently and with great clarity and courage on the theme of preparing for the death that all of us one day or other will face, that it would fit so exactly with one dimension of this that I believe is there for us to see, perhaps with new eyes from John chapter 11. And if I can take a leaf back out of his book, I'd like just to mention three references of things to go on reading so that I don't interrupt uh, the thrust of what I'm going to share uh, during the, the talk itself. The, the best short overall commentary on John's Gospel, I reckon, is Bruce Milne's The Message of John. There are bigger, more detailed commentaries which are available, of course, uh, but this is on the bookstall and that commends it in one sense. But that's very good value. Um, alongside that, because often we're more focused on the fact that Jesus is God, that we don't grasp how amazing it is that he's also fully human, I find Bruce Ware's book, The Man Christ Jesus, which some of us studied in the men's reading group a few months back, a quite superb survey on what we might call the humanity of Jesus, that he was fully human. And that comes through, um, in part at least, in this passage. And then right at the end, I'm going to refer to a guy called Jim Elliot, 
Anyone heard of Jim Elliot? There's a smile of a few faces down here, slightly older faces for the young people at the back, <laughs> only slightly. But um, he's one of my great heroes. And uh, the best place to find out more about Jim Elliot is just to look him up on uh, any site. Mike's going to do that now just to check out. <laughs> but there, there are films, there are videos, there are books about the amazing events surrounding his life and death in Ecuador some decades back. But uh, that would be a film to watch if um, you haven't seen it already. Absolutely brilliant. But looking at uh, John 11, and quite clearly, uh, we're only going to be looking at some aspects of this this evening. I'd almost certainly take that for granted, as I'm sure you do. It's far too full to develop in every aspect. But one <clears throat> verse or two verses that stand out, at least for me, are verses 25 and 26, when Jesus said to Mart Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he turns to Martha with a question. And that's the question for us as well tonight. Do you believe this? So here's my first observation, and we'll come back to Martha in a moment, uh, from this chapter about Jesus. Jesus is the giver of life. And if we were working steadily and systematically through John's Gospel, uh, which we're not, we're following just particular themes, we'd see that throughout the Gospel, from start to finish, Jesus is portrayed as the giver of life. And next week, in the material sense, we shall see how he gives life to water, turning it into wine, in the particular context of a wedding. And that's in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. But he's the giver of life, even more significantly, of course, in a spiritual sense. As we saw two weeks ago, thinking about Nicodemus, the religious insider. And then just last week, we saw how he gave life to the Samaritan woman, the moral and religious outsider, satisfying both in the case of Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, their thirst for inner reality. Jesus, the giver of life. And in the case of Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, that's chapters 3 and 4 in John's Gospel. But just look back, just a page or two, to chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, and you see how the picture is gradually developing. Jesus says, and you have to get the context, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. He's the one who brings life in abundance. He's, as he goes on to say, the good shepherd, verse 11, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, if you, if you can picture the, the, the brilliant way that John brings step by step by step us to see that Jesus is the giver of life, we then reach in chapter 11, the chapter we're looking at this evening, um, this extraordinary conclusion, the life he gives is nothing less than indestructible resurrection life that's not defeated even by death itself. So we're back again to his question to Martha. Do you believe this? Well, in her grief, she does in a rather theoretical way, but in his question, Jesus is challenging her to a personal conviction and a practical belief that will transform everything she does, everything she thinks from that day forward, even in the context of the grieving she's beginning to go through for the death of Lazarus, her brother. It's hardly the ideal moment, you might think, for Jesus to challenge her to a deeper deeper level of commitment, but that he does. And in the process, and this will be my second observation about John 11, in an extraordinary way, Jesus identifies with the two sisters in their grief. Now, a lot's been written about the friendship that he evidently enjoyed with both them and Lazarus. But uh, look at verses 28 and 29. At this point, Martha has come out of the village to meet with Jesus. She now goes back and calls aside her younger sister Mary and tells her the teacher is here and is asking for her. And immediately Mary gets up quickly and goes to him. And initially, she echoes her older sister's words of verse 21. You can see that uh, verse 32 is an exact repetition of what we have from Martha earlier in the same chapter. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And immediately and understandably, Mary begins to weep. This is normal and natural and right. But the reaction of Jesus to what he sees, what he hears, what he witnesses, the reaction of Jesus is profound and even perhaps for some of us, shocking. Even 
surprising, at least. Verses 33 to 35, where we're told Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and asked, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And I I don't know how it is with you, but whenever I reach that point in, in the narrative, I have to stop. This is just beyond understanding that Jesus was so deeply touched and affected by what was going on here. You see, John's Gospel teaches us and has taught us clearly and systematically from the very first chapter, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, that Jesus fully shares the deity of his Father and of the Holy Spirit. And there's a great deal in the development of John's Gospel about the Holy Spirit. And we begin to get the picture of God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together for our good. But, throughout the Gospel, and in the other Gospels, of course, we get an equally insistent emphasis on the fact that Jesus lived out his life here on earth fundamentally as a man. And the part the Holy Spirit played in that is one of the great themes that I think Bruce Ware adds to the debate, as it were, on this chapter in his book on the humanity of Jesus. Jesus wept. He felt their pain. His tears at that moment expressed the emotion, the deep feeling of his heart but it's not quite as simple as it may seem, and certainly as the Jews who came out with Mary to share with her in whatever it was Jesus was going to say or do didn't get this fuller meaning, at least as far as this immediate text suggests to us. This is my third observation. Not only does Jesus identify with the two sisters in their grief, At this point, Jesus displays anger. Now, those of us who've ever been to a funeral and taken services which involve people grieving, uh, by and large, that's not the time to get angry. So what is going on here. Jesus displays anger, and the verb that's used and uh, in our Bibles that we're looking at this evening, the New International Version, be it verse 33, or further on in verse 38, the phrase translated as deeply moved uh, doesn't really grasp the force of the original. As one commentator puts it, the word indicates an outburst of anger 
and any attempt to interpret it just in terms of an internal emotional upset caused by grief, pain or sympathy is illegitimate. That's a German writer, and I understand, and you can check this out, that in the German it actually comes across with more of the force of the original than it does in English. Don Carson, in his magnificent commentary on John, suggests the better translation at this point in both 33 and 38 is, he was outraged in spirit which also means, Carson points out, he was angry, deeply angry within himself. And it's expressed perhaps even more forcefully by, uh, I think, one of the great North American theologians, B.B. Warfield, in his magnificent book on the person and work of Jesus. It's expressed by him in, in these words and he's commenting particularly on John 11, verse 38. What John tells us, in point of fact, is that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrolled grief, but of inexpressible anger. So, the obvious question is what is the object of the anger of Jesus? Why is he at this point displaying anger? Again, B.B. Warfield is very helpful, and I quote him. The spectacle of the distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death. It's unnaturalness, it's violent tyranny. And there he's in fact quoting from a commentary written by John Calvin. And Warfield goes on, in Mary's grief, he sees and feels the misery of the whole human race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. You see, it is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death and whom the Lord had come into the world to destroy. And, and so my fourth observation from John 11 would be this. Jesus is victorious over death and the devil. Jesus is victorious over death and the devil. And the tears he sheds are not so much for Lazarus. After all, Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead anyway. Rather, he advances to the tomb, using John Calvin's words, as a champion who prepares for conflict. I like that phrase. He advances to the tomb as a champion who prepares for conflict. And as I read that, I was reminded of the parable in Matthew 13 
the parable of the weeds sown amongst the good seed. And Jesus comments at the end of the parable, an enemy did this. And in the context of John 11, that enemy he has come to destroy. So where does all this take us? Jesus is victorious and the loser in this story is death. And as Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 puts it, the loser is him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Now this is, I, I never cease to be amazed reading up to this point in John's Gospel. This is staggering stuff. And the question from Jesus to Martha takes on new meaning. Do you believe this? He knows what's going to happen. So should we, reading our Bibles, and so often our response is rather lukewarm, rather like that of Martha. Jesus is victorious over death and the devil. And what's foreshadowed here in the way that John deliberately leads, leads us up to the climax of Easter is the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. What we've got with Lazarus is a foreshadowing of that. And... Uh, we're coming on to that in just three or four weeks' time. For it was through his death on the cross, as John puts it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. I remember being in a deep conversation with a young Marxist on a beach in Argentina about that, and seeing this guy's eyes opening he never thought of it in those terms. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now you see, Martha's correct response in verse 24 uh, is what she believed. But what was the depth of her belief? How could it carry her through? It was good enough in a sense, but it didn't capture the wonder and the passion of what Jesus was about to do, both in raising Lazarus and in going to the cross. Through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, Jesus makes the possession, the certainty of eternal life, ours in present experience, and that's what he wanted it to be, both for Martha and for Mary, and for every believer ever since. I think what stirs me about this are the implications of what we have here. We can't just sort of say, great, and walk away. If we believe this to be true, if we can answer the question he put to Martha, yes, we believe, I believe, 
It means we will take risks to share of Christ's victory with others, both here in England and overseas. And I wonder sometimes if the greatness of the church as it once was in England has lost out in our lukewarmness on the wonder of the gospel as Christ's victory over death and the devil. And this is news worth sharing. Let me share a story, and this is where uh, the man I mentioned, Jim Elliot, comes in. I well remember, and it, I can picture it almost as I speak of it, sitting in a room, hot and stuffy, in an area where the indigenous people of Paraguay lived, and we got electricity there, and we were watching the film of the story of Jim Elliot. And these were indigenous Christian believers. And we sat and watched in silence. Jim Elliot took the gospel to Indians in Ecuador and at the age of 29 was speared to death for his efforts. His wife, Elizabeth, died just a few years ago and spent a lifetime sharing the wonder of what God did through that incident, including the conversion of the man who killed her husband. This is stirring stuff. If we believe that Jesus has won the victory over death and Satan, this is what it drives us to do, to take risks to share the gospel with others. So we sat and watched this film, and as it finished, um, unusually, the little group of Indian leaders sitting there with me and with a guy who was in charge of Bible translation, still is, more or less got up and walked out without a word. It was so moving. Because towards the end of that film, words spoken by Jim Elliot were flashed up for us to read. And this is what he said as he explained to others before he went in on that final visit when he lost his life. He is a fool who gives away what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And there was a man, Jim Elliot, who had a grasp on the wonder of the victory of Jesus over death and the devil, and knew that his human life was, if necessary, worth forfeiting, because nothing and no one could ever take away what he could never lose, his eternal life in Christ. There's so much more in this John 11 passage. But what I hear as I read it through again and as I shared in preparation for this evening is that question ringing loud and clear from Jesus to, Mar to Martha, to Mary, to me, to each one of us this evening. I am the resurrection and the life. 
he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Let's pray. Let's pray as even now we begin to pray, prepare for Easter, that as we look at this time when Jesus was with Martha and Mary and brought to life again his friend Lazarus, that all of this foreshadowed his death on the cross for us and for them, his resurrection life. Help us, Father, to grasp something of the victory over death and the devil, which is reflected in this chapter. And we think of friends, family members, maybe ourselves too, who don't want to think about the future. Thank you again for what we heard this morning that awakened our concerns for the way we live as Christians with the hope of eternal life. So help us to capture something of the wonder of all that you've done for us and the life giver that you are for us. And awaken within us, we pray, by your Spirit, the same Spirit that motivated you through your life here on earth. Help us to want to share the news of your victory over death and the devil. Help us to want to share that good news with others. For we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.